Hello and welcome to the How Might We Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scally, as always. Now, on today's episode, I have Tamsin Ace. Previously, Tamsin was the director of creative programs and collections at London's Geoffrey Museum. I always never know how to pronounce that word. Oh, well, it was the Geoffrey Museum, Museum of Lon- but Geoffrey. It's, but it's got, it got renamed before I joined. It was, um, it's now the Museum of the Home in Hoxton. Museum of the Home in Hackney, isn't it? Yeah, because I saw that and I was like, I don't recognise that, but hey. Uh, and she also spent 12 years at the Southbank Centre, departing as Head of Public Programming in 2019. Now, however, Tamsin joins us as the first person to take on a, a brand new role. She's the director of East Bank, which is a cultural quarter here, uh, not far from where we're recording today. And East Bank is the UK's newest cultural quarter, and it sits in the heart of the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. The initiative is the result of over a billion of investment from the GLA, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London. The first cultural institution at East Bank opened its doors only a couple of months ago. We were at an event, which we just talked about briefly, uh, to open to the public, and that was the uh, London College of Fashion site, but there was also UCL um, as well, which opened uh, previous to that. Uh, But students are in both of those sites now, which is really exciting. Great to feel the energy in the park. Uh, But they will be joined eventually by the Victorian Albert Museum East, uh, V&A East, Sadler's Wells East, and the new BBC Music Studios, all opening over the next couple of years. East Bank is a really unique collaboration between those cultural institutions that I talked about and world-leading universities, as well as the, the people of the Olympic boroughs. And I really think it's going to light the torch for a kind of new era of creativity in London, and I think it will further cement East London, the place we're in, as a, as a global hub for arts, culture, and creativity. So a really exciting time, and it's amazing to have Tamsin on the podcast to to talk about that. So Tamsin, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. So there you go. You're the you're the first person in the hot seat of a very important role, a very exciting role. Um, working backwards from there, uh, give us a little bit of a understanding of who you are and, and, and what led you to become the first person to take on this role here in this bank. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I do think it's probably one of the best jobs going. I think it's up there. So I'm, yeah, I'm super excited, and I think it is my dream job. Um, so going back and telling a bit of a potted history of me, um, I suppose participation, community engagement, creating access to the arts has always been at the heart of what I've done. Um, I did drama and English at university. Oh, cool. Went there thinking I was going to be a Spice Girl, um, and then. While I was there, learned about all the amazing other things you could do within the arts world. Like, who knew that jobs like mine existed? I didn't. Um, and so when I graduated, I then did a teacher training course to be a drama teacher. Um, and fast realised that I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't very good at that. And if I was going to be a teacher, you've got to be really good. Um, and it just wasn't for me. So I went into that kind of theatre and education world and got my first job in a local art centre which then grew into a bigger local arts centre. And I kind of worked my way up. I started off there as education assistant, so thinking about all the courses for young people, programming children's theatre. And I said to my then boss, I'm going to stick here and I'm going to work my way up. And I did exactly that. So I then became education manager. Then I became head of programming and education and did all the programming and curation across all their spaces, across all art forms. And then I moved from that venue, Arts Depot in North London, 
to the Southbank Centre and that's probably where I kind of really cut my teeth, learned my craft. I was there at a time when Jude Kelly was artistic director and she um, looked at the Southbank Centre. I wanted to return it to what it was originally built as. It was built as part of the Festival of Britain in 1951, you know, post-Second World War initiative built by refugees. It was bringing art, science, culture, education all together across the site and when she arrived at Southbank Centre, I think in sort of 2006, 2007, she wanted to return it to that festival site. And the reason I'm telling you that is it really connects with what I hope East Bank will become. The idea that different audiences and visitors can bump into art and ideas in many, many ways. So working there at Southbank Centre with Jude Kelly, I worked with her on developing this festival methodology. The idea that you could encompass multiple spaces, indoors and outs, that half a programme would always be free and that you would explore themes or ideas in different sort of from different points and points of views so that people come and they could dip their toe in and explore an idea or they could really deep dive, but that you always thought about different ways that people could engage. And also you made sure that you weren't the people deciding what that content was, that you were working with the people who were the experts in that field so whatever that theme could be, it could be anything from we did a festival of death. Oh, wow. We did a festival of love. We did a festival of sort of looking at gender equality and masculinity. We did the festival of the world and all those ideas. So as men, you know, brought, lots and lots of people can relate to that in different ways. And it was our job was to sort of untap that knowledge and expertise and then put it together in a program that made sense. So I was there for 12 years and I absolutely loved it. It really taught me about different ways to work with communities, the importance of partnership working. Um, and I would say that kind of underpins everything I've done since. Because I then went to the Museum of the Home, as you mentioned in your intro. Um, and what they wanted was that kind of festival, cross-site, cross-programming feel in their new museum. They'd gone through a massive redevelopment so I introduced a cultural strategy there, which again was about sort of disrupting the ideas of what museums were about and who they were for. And then I went on to the London College of Fashion um, as head of cultural programming. And that, again, that was a similar role to think about their move to um, the Olympic Park on East Bank, to think about a cultural program that was really public facing, to look at the amazing content their students and staff were generating and how could we kind of get that out into the world. Um, and then from there, in that role, I got really involved in East Bank and just was so excited by the potential to be part of that story that when the job came up to become director, I obviously jumped at it. No-brainer. Yeah, complete no-brainer. Wow, it's a crazy story. And it's amazing, one of the first things you said there about what you maybe wanted to be as a kid and then realising what you do is even a job. I think it's one of the great revelations for many people in this space, the sort of maybe not creatively trained or even creatively trained, but then finding roles in the creative industries that are just as vital as making product. Exactly. And that's always the thing that I talk about whenever I'm talking to young people or kind of doing mentoring. It's the fact that those that brought that breadth of role that you can do within the creative industries often isn't talked about. You see the end product, but there are so many bits to that, which, you know, I can't imagine doing anything other than what I do now. I love being that kind of connector putting the dots together supporting people to be the best they can be mm. um i just didn't know that i just went to drama school blindly thinking that i was again as i said yeah be a pop star the or, dream or you know 
I, I had it too. Maybe not Spice Girls. I was probably trying to. <laughs> I was trying to be in Boys to Men, maybe. Um, but just the same dream. Um, but interesting, you talked there about the the, the time that you were at South Bank, uh, uh, quite a long time, really. And and now you approach this challenge or this new opportunity. And of course, I'm sure day to day you see a lot of corollaries. Um, I wonder just briefly, like in terms of how you're approaching it. Uh, are you, are you oftentimes looking back on old notes or old programs you did or people you worked with or you trying to almost like tabula rasa like clean slate try everything brand new like how does though that two buckets of oh. thoughts sit i mean that's a really good question i mean again yeah my time at south bank center was so instrumental and key to kind of thinking about how i think about the world and how i think about you know arts and access to arts and creativity and the idea of sort of arts for social change and how art can really change the world um and there are definite connections i think you know having a multi you know a campus site yeah. having lots of spaces that big outdoor um space on the stratford waterfront and the outdoor space outside ucl east i mean it's, it's a massive playground and being part of the olympic park is also a gift um but also there were massive differences you know East Bank's been conceived with all five partners right from the start. That idea of collaboration and how we can share ideas and resource and how we can kind of, you know, that sort of, that saying, we're greater than the sum of our parts is so key to East Bank, which I think makes it quite unique and makes it a really different kind of cultural quarter. And also the East Bank partners have been working and building their relationships and their their networks and their partnerships in East London, you know, for at least 10 years. Yeah. So... It's not like they're sort of arriving and landing in the area. They're really, you know, a big part of what they've been doing is about listening and connecting and not assuming anything. I mean, East London is known for its creativity mm-hmm. for decades, decades before East Bank um, was even an idea. And so, you know, we've been honouring that and sort of, you know, collaborating and listening and sharing yeah. ideas all yeah. along the way. And anecdotally, I can say, um, just shout out to Sarah Green. I don't, I, I mean, over the years working at the VNA, the time I've been here, I mean, done incredible things to reach out uh, and be present, listen, um, hear people's grievances, explore opportunities. And I think that that is a really good point of just being able to you know, come into those forums, which can be a little bit difficult with people with concerns and trying to do our best to come to a consensus around how we can make this benefit as many people as possible and i think the vna and all those institutions have done a, a stellar job of that and it's uh, as you say it's unique i guess to to have that sort of yeah. pre-work and the, and the frames of the buildings have been slowly getting there and exactly before the buildings yeah and that's what struck me when i you know when i started working at london college fashion you know just under two years ago was that generosity and that openness and that sort of desire for collaboration and true collaboration you know there were there are creative content working groups between all the partners where they're sharing ideas and saying oh we're doing this mm. and someone else says oh well you're doing that well we're doing this and we could do that and it's been happening quite organically but now i've got the, the <laughs> gift of actually doing more of that and kind right. of doing that connecting trying to get um, your arms around it and then i suppose the other thing to say about somewhere like a you know a destination like south bank center that didn't happen overnight right yeah so south bank center i think is 70 75 years in two years time wow and it's it's taken it's taken time to get that kind of trust and to build up that sort of audience loyalty and that feeling that i think most people when they think about south bank they'll say 
Oh, you know, we'll go down there. There's bound to be something happening, something that we can see or do or take part in. And, you know, that's what we want for East Bank, that idea that there's always some kind of buzzing creativity, whether that's with public art installations or live music or an exhibition or, you know, great food offers, or you can just come and spend a day in the park and dip into various bits of the East Bank programme. That's where we're heading, but it will take time to grow that offer. The question that we use to frame our dialogue today um, and the how might we question we decide to run with is how might we create cultural programming that resonates and represents a wide range of local communities which sort of loosely touched on there and of course your experience speaks to but when you think about the um, the challenge or the issue around creating cultural programming uh, that resonates uh, and represents people what do you think are the maybe some of the biggest factors that shape um, people like yourselves creating these programming and how what are some of the challenges and opportunities that are, are sort of part of that it's a big question yeah yeah I mean I suppose embedded with everything I do is I mean I'm, I'm going to keep saying this this sort of word or phrase is it's all about partnerships and it's all about listening mm. so you know two months into the new role I'm not assuming anything and I'm doing an awful lot of listening and I think with cultural programming and making people feel that they're that they're represented or they're part of that is that again it's it's about not sort of going away locking yourself up in your institutions coming up with a theme and then delivering it and presenting it back to the kind of the audience that you think wants to engage with it right and and that is about those really embedded long-lasting relationships it's about honoring those that know better than you it's about being present being having a profile having a, a sort of a base out in in east london mm-hmm um, it's about going out of your comfort zone. So I think that sort of going back to my festival programming days, when you've got a, a particular theme or an idea and you're not led by art form, what it got, does is it opens you up to so many different things that maybe you would never have encountered. And I think as a, as a cultural programmer, one of the things you have to be is a bit of a magpie and you have to be open to things that might not be in your taste or in your particular comfort zone mm. and if you're exploring a particular idea it then leads you down so many different paths that you would never go down if you were just purely programming to the most high profile dance company or the most excellent orchestra right um so for me it's about looking at what already exists and then tapping into that um and then sort of being generous and open with what you're what you know and what you don't know mm. Yeah, I guess that's probably the, the latter point is one that maybe is sometimes probably the hardest to approach because it is sensitive, of course. Um, and I, I guess when we talk about these really big cultural institutions, whether it's a university or a, a gallery or an archive space like the V&A or, uh, you know, a space for dance and theatre, you know, these things are, from my perspective, incredible tools uh, and places, as you say, for experience and, and, and opening up people, young people, old people's minds to different things and, and challenging. I think it's personally, I think oftentimes the hardest things for us to understand are the differences are usually best understood through experiential things rather than language. I think language is, I'd say that while we're doing a podcast, which is terrible, but, um, you know, I, I do often think when, when we think about who this affects, I actually was at a lecture last week um, and a chap. Uh, David O'Brien from the University of Manchester, he was talking about during COVID, like the consumption of 
cultural products, um, you know, theatrical stuff or, or you know, live music, etc. when we couldn't go to these places. And they were doing a study on the demographic of consumption and there was almost no difference. Um, and it was something that sort of made me step back for a second because I kind of automatically thought, oh, maybe that modality gave a chance for this stuff to to reach out to, to different audiences. But of course, there was exogenous factors like COVID, which were probably making people go, I don't really want to think about that stuff right now. So it's not p- foolproof, but it just makes me wonder, I think, new um, spaces like East Bank and this agglomeration of activity gives us, I guess, a fresh chance to look at like how can we, as you say, represent people and engage people differently in this kind of experience to try to wrap more people around this opportunity because there is so much opportunity there, right? There is such a lot of opportunity, but buildings are complex. Buildings are complicated. Whether you feel welcome, whether you feel that it's for you is always sort of the most complicated. Yeah, good point. You know. Like the physicality of a space. Yeah, the gap to bridge. Um, And how people feel that, you know, there's often that perception that that's not for me Mm. and which is why, you know, all the work that I've been done, I've been doing has been about that kind of public realm and that kind of free offer because once you get people to engage with content right. outside of a building, then it's, it's that next step. You know, what is that welcome? What does your threshold look and feel like? And I know that East Bank, in particular, like um, VNAE, so thinking about what does that sort of space outside their doors look like because mm. there is always that perception that museums might not be for me. And they've right. done an awful lot of work thinking about what their program is, the kinds of work they want to show that makes VNAs different from their other VNA sites, having it really rooted um, in the community, making sure, you know, a big part of East Bank is that, you know, we want to change the workforce of these five partners organisations, that they have got a very local feel. Because again, if you have a local task force, yeah. they then bring friends and bring family and, and it's kind of, you, you're kind of breaking down those barriers that way. But for me, the threat, you know, is that is that stepping in that welcome what does a welcome look like how do people know that they belong and then that is about you know your offer so it's about going you know we're not the experts in this but you are do you want to curate a weekend do you want to come in and tell us what that would look like and then what you do is then that brings their audiences and then you kind of embed them further into the program so there's lots of different ways you do that and the opportunity of East bank with it being cross art form they're all very different institutions, but you can see how they all connect. You can see how London College of Fashion could link up with Sadler's Wells and those students could have an opportunity to design costume for the right. performances there. UCL East have amazing research centres and huge and amazing spaces. And, you know, that could then inform how VNA think about some of their curation. You know, it all ties together. Yeah. And that is, I think, the beauty of what East, Camp, East Bank can bring, but we have to get the welcome right. Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, something in workspace, which um, uh, was something quite uh, dear to me in, in my time in there, is that oftentimes we would design spaces without uh, reception and, and there would be just a clear space going to a kitchen or something like that. And the, the rationale being, where do you have the most meaningful conversations? Usually not over a reception desk. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not usually the most as you say welcoming there's a there's a sense that there's i've got to present myself and get confirmed in there's just a lot of like subconscious things as you say and then by not having that it just meant that people would come in and naturally just flow into a conversation or be able to share something that rough that they're going through in somewhere that felt more akin to home or something familiar and and as you say there like the 
the public realm or these spaces. It's it's and how they mesh, right? It's exactly. really important. It's, it's so important. And you, when you look at, I mean, I hope people listening will, will start getting excited about the potential of East Bank. You know, we do have two of the universities, um, London College of Fashion and UCL East, open. Their buildings are beautiful. Their atriums and foyers are huge and vast, but they don't feel scary once you're in them. There's amazing artwork in UCL East. If you want to go and see a huge globe, there's this amazing artwork by an artist called Luke Jerome called Guy, which is an enormous suspended globe. And it's quite... Yeah. Go in there, lie on the floor and look up. That is, a, um, Free high. that is an invitation from me. Go in and just watch it because you just lie down there and watch that earth spinning and it really kind of grounds you. It's just, when security it's come and check you, just go, Tamsin sent me. Exactly. It's just extraordinary. And then you go into London College of Fashion's foyers and they've got these sort of huge swirling concrete staircase, which is massively Instagrammable, if that's your thing. <laughs> um, and the students, what the students bring is, you know, a completely different energy. Like last month, well, actually September, sorry. 8,000 students and staff arrived on the park and everyone that I've encountered who's been working on the park for a long time has commented on the energy that those students have brought and how different it feels and the idea they're disrupting the space and making it feel their own and and it feels lived in already and it's only been open, what, two months. But thinking about that kind of, that openness and that public space, when Sudler's Wells open autumn 2024 how they've designed their space and it's right on the corner of the Stratford waterfront opposite the aquatic center you can't miss it and they've got this huge community dance floor that's been created in their foyer and that in itself is such an invitation and a gift for people just to kind of turn up and use that space and dance and it's you know the floor goes up and down it's got an amazing sound system there'll be moments of events and social dances and workshops but also it's a gift to the community to come and use that space and be welcome there. Yeah. And that, just having that in the design is just great. And then if you go on to V&A East, who've also got their storehouse, like they're opening up their storehouse here in Hackney Wick, um, on here, in here East. And it's this huge open archive, which has never been done before. Like a quarter of a million objects being moved into this purpose-built archive that public can go into archives are normally locked away they're normally kind of in a basement somewhere this has been designed so that you can go in and see those objects which is just extraordinary and it's got the david bowie archive as well coming there so again there's different things that bring different audiences in and the fact that it's open and you can engage with it so i keep going back to the welcome but the welcome is so important about how the buildings are designed and how they feel mm-hmm. Um, and that welcome and seeing yourself reflected yeah. in the programme and in the building and in the workforce is so really important. I guess maybe a step before that, maybe like double-clicking still into the idea of that welcome and, and how we get more people involved, which is sort of part of the anchor question that we've got here. Just thinking about maybe questioning the, the assumption that that welcome and the programming can hopefully get to those people, but that's the ideal, right? Yeah. And I wonder if you think in, in the stages about whether like the so- social or the cultural factors that might shape why people might not engage with these things. I wonder if you think there's ways in which we could better enforce that opportunity before, maybe, whether it's in schools or in communities. I don't know how you see that. And maybe if there's any learnings from your times at the South Bank Centre. Yeah, I mean, yeah, having really in-depth and embedded outreach programmes is key. You know, And again, it's not about that kind of flying in and doing one workshop and then stopping so there's no point 
having that kind of one-off intervention. Yes, right. it's nice, but actually you need to really invest. And um, like an interesting anecdote, uh, um, at London College of Fashion, they had a step intern. So there's a commitment to having um, internships, paid internships of the London Living Wage for young people who live in East London to go and have a, a year's um, role at one of the East Bank partners. And London College of Fashion had um, a young man called Cyrus who who told me that when he was in year nine, um, people came to tell him about the Olympics and what it was going to bring and what the opportunities were. And then, you know, fast forward, what, 11 years, and he's now wow. working in one of those um, partners. And so that conversation started, you know, long before the Olympics. And then you can see that legacy and see that sort of, opportunity and how he's then kind of gone full circle and seen the area where he lives change and evolve and the opportunities for him and he's now having his time at, at London College of Fashion he's um, an amazing filmmaker editor social media expert he's now had the confidence to go freelance and to build up his portfolio and do that work um, so it is that kind of long lasting embedded programs and all the East Bank partners have been doing that for a long time with schools with youth organizations with community partners um vna east have been working really closely with hackney quest to really kind of inform their youth collective mm. um so it's about playing the long game it's about having that associate schools program so you commit to working with children over a longer period of time right because you know statistically they say that if you're working in schools in primary schools when they get um leave primary school and go into secondary school, their kind of cultural engagement drops off. So it's about kind oh, of... Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So again, it's about tapping into families as well as schools so right. that families feel that, that there's a value in accessing cultural institutions and, and, and again, making them feel welcome in that space too. So it is about the kind of the, the bigger, more holistic... Yeah. And do you think there's a... If you think about the empathy map of those people, like I, that case study is great. And then we think about, say, another family, a hypothetical, who might see that opportunity and go, I would want that for my son, daughter, et cetera. That'd be great. And then oftentimes I think there's something, uh, this is just my sense, I just don't know if you agree really, but with the, 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 the vastness of this project and the scale, I think there's something about people almost expecting everything about it to be of that level, an order of magnitude, in the sense of, okay, if you're going to provide employment opportunities for young people, you've got to be providing like hundreds and thousands like straight away um, because look how much is going on here. Surely that's possible without really double-clicking into it too much. And as you say, in order to do that long-term, you sort of have to start small and, and learn what works and what doesn't. And then you can eventually get to that point, hopefully, where it sort of compounds on itself. But I do wonder if people maybe sense that because these things are so big that everything about it has to be the same. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Yeah, I guess it does resonate. And I think that, you know, it does have to, yeah, it has to be authentic. And there's no point doing something at scale if it's not going to have quality and it's not going to kind of have the impact that you want. And, you know, I've been only working on the program for a few months, but I've been working really closely with LLDC. And it's been really interesting the kind of the, the programs that they've really embedded into their whole sort of development program, like the Shared Apprenticeship Program, the New Talent Future Leaders Offer, which is right. kind of looking at, um, the internships, apprenticeships, training for teachers, community anchor programs. They've got an Elevate offer, which is looking at young people. There's lots of layers to the work that's been going on for years mm. to make sure there is that kind of community investment and that sort of partnership focus. And 
yeah, East Bank does look vast, um, but it will grow. And as the as the workforce changes and the jobs become available, and through the kind of pipeline and the training opportunities that East Bank is offering, that will develop. But it's it takes time. Yeah, and it's the second, maybe third order effect, especially of a university. Those two universities creating. Uh, new founders, new innovations, new products, new services. Hopefully a, a large proportion of them stay in the area and set up their businesses there. They they go on to employ people, export globally. It's all these things which the trickle yeah. down into different components. And we already have a really dense creative cluster here, but there's so much benefit by having that constant, um, you know, um, homogenous flow. Exactly. I think you look at it as a whole. So, you yeah, know, East Bank system. is part of the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park and there are amazing partners that exist in and around the park. Mm. And we're there to feed and support each other. Right. So it's looking at the bigger picture and how one feeds the other and, you know, what is the support that we can offer? You know, East Bank has got this sort of amazing profile and these sort of big institutions with lots of collective knowledge and opportunity. Mm-hmm. So how can you offer that and how can you share that? And how can you sort of share the opportunity, I suppose, with right. the shared apprenticeship programme? There's the um, apprenticeship levy that's being um, offered out to, you know, I think it's about 200 local SMEs, which is a great asset and resource that can be shared out beyond East Bank into the wider East Bank community. So, again, I think it's looking at what we have in terms of what we can offer within East Bank, but also what we can offer beyond East Bank. Because we are, it's about the bigger picture, isn't it? It's about East London as a whole. Yeah, true. London as a whole. And then I wonder, though, from your position in terms of cultural programming, and I think there's something, you've sort of got a really clear goal and objective and, and, and where you're headed. And, and, of course, you say that it's malleable and you'll change over time as things change and participatory design of projects, etc. But there's always this sort of, I oftentimes think what people tend to usually hear and what I hear parroted is that the arts or creative education at an elementary level, primary level, isn't as well invested in or isn't as cared about. STEM kind of takes over and I mean I think a lot of people try and add their A and turn it into STEAM now and all that kind of thing but oftentimes that's I think the narrative I hear um, uh, expressed a lot so there is a lot of truth in that and then I wonder when when you kind of get to the level of where you're operating in outside of that although interconnected but there's there's opportunity as you say all those things you just mentioned but then really in the start of the funnel there just seems to be a real lack of momentum to kind of push things up towards where there is actually a, a growing momentum and I just wonder if you find that dislocation and asymmetry between maybe being able to do cultural programming that's really diverse with the best talent, the most exciting global practitioners, and then these younger folks maybe or people who went through the school system and now are out of it didn't get any of that when they were in the schools. Of course, that doesn't sit at the feet of East Bank, but I just wonder what you think about that that kind of overall system and, and how it maybe doesn't serve what the East Bank is trying to uh, do for its cultural programming. Oh, God, that is such a big question. Um yeah, you're right. I mean, the arts aren't as valued as much within the school system. It's all focused on, you know, the priority subjects. Yeah. And I think East Bank has a huge role to play with that. If you look at the education programmes that all the East Bank partners are delivering, they're all engaging with multiple schools across East London and beyond because lots of the partners have other programmes beyond East Bank. Right. So they've got their, their tentacles are out across, yeah, yeah. across London, but they've got a real focus in East London. And the ones that are the most successful are where they really commit to a school and the school invests in them over a longer period of time. Yeah, they can do one-off workshops, but it's the schools that have kind of gone, okay, we're going to commit to working with you over three or four years. You're going to start with year 
five and go all the way through to year six. Sorry, you start with year four and go through to year six mm -hmm. and you see that progression. But also it's having conversations with um, with teachers who are hard, who are, you know, time is pressured. Yeah, really tough. They've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. So it's also thinking about how the arts can deliver on some of those other, you know, core curriculum subjects. So it's having those conversations too. But yeah, it's hard. The arts aren't as valued as much and they haven't been invested in. And that's why East Bank has a really key part to play. You know, the East Bank Summer School um, has been something that's been going for a number of years on the park. And that's been getting huge numbers of young yeah. people coming over the summer to engage with all the creative subjects that the East Bank Partners offer. And that has been a real success to then get them to understand the potential and also to get their families to understand, as you were talking, as we were talking about earlier, the yeah. vast range of roles and really important roles. I mean, the creative community, the creative industries creates billions mm -hmm. for the economy. And I think that messaging is starting to get through. Having the mayor of London's support really helps. Huge. He's massively invested in culture and the value of culture. Um and the deputy mayor as well, they've really been championing the, the importance of, of sort of culture and education, how the two together can really be a force for for real change. Um, I'm just thinking about that idea that having universities like London College of Fashion and UCLEs and all the other universities that have made their homes in and around East London and the Olympic Park. There's loads of them because they see the value and really sort of investing in this part of London um, and how they can really support the creative industries. Yeah, it's a difficult square to circle though, isn't it? Because I think... It's a really difficult square to circle because you are, there's, you know, one of the biggest challenges for people accessing projects is food poverty. So, you know, your budgets then go increased because you need to provide all that wraparound care because, you know, those services aren't being met. Yeah. So and it's, it's hard to commit. And I think that pastoral care thing is really important, especially in, in this sense of cultural programming or the arts and creativity. Because I certainly think over the past 20 years that all the, the, the top line number is always the growth value add and the amount of people that are employed and stuff. And that is important at the end of the day. You know, you can't bypass that. But it doesn't, it's not all that these things have to offer. And, and if anything, oftentimes the, the most they have to offer sits outside of the economic sphere. And I think that's maybe something that in our society we, we struggle currently, I think, to divorce those things. And I think that's where the cultural programming can have a really big impact. It can create space and time and connection in ways which we seem to have a huge deficit of across um, various uh, components of our society. And I think the park does that in a really beautiful way and parks do that. But then having these additional things, I think really, yeah, just creates a really interesting interchange um, because I think there's that kind of incongruous nature of in people, they go, well, as a young person would be like, I really want to get involved in this stuff. And then I go to school every day and I'm kind of being told constantly to like focus on maths or something. And I mean, what was it in COVID? Uh, the, the, the ballet person should become a coder. I can't remember what that yeah. campaign was, but Again, silly and we can smile, but these things impact people, right? They do impact people. And I think you have to dream. You have to you have to see that there's a possibility and that there's that there's someone that, that looks like you that is in that role. And I think, you know, London has some of the most amazing culture there is. Mm. And a lot of it is free. And, you know, as a Londoner, my mum took full advantage of all of that was on you know, that was on offer. Yeah. I mean to take me around all the museums and all the galleries and sometimes she thought, why? Because 
I was a grumpy <laughs> child and teenager being, what is this? But it all sunk in because it showed me the possibilities. It showed me um, that I could do that. And so that's what you want, isn't it? Is you want, you know, East, a lot of East Bank's program will be free mm-hmm. and you can engage it. And again, you can come in and just spend a minute, spend a day, spend a night engaging with all that content. And, but knowing that it's there is part of the, part of the challenge, I guess. Yeah. And I guess it's something in the the way it's presented out as well, isn't it? The the brand or the communication and how those opportunities get out to those people. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. And I think also, yes, there's a big drive to get people to come to East Bank. Course, it's yeah. also about what does that offer look like out in the community? You know, we want we want to share and, and support all the amazing organisations that are doing great work across mm. East London. So how do we drive audiences to that work? And then vice versa. How do we give opportunities to amazing grassroots organisations that are doing amazing exhibitions or performances? You know, what are the opportunities for that work to be showcased in the East Bank spaces so that, you know, you're bringing your family to come and see your work in a gallery on East Bank? It's really great, that reciprocity. Yeah. It's something I wouldn't maybe think because you've got such big infrastructure and opportunity there to forget that you can take it out and engage with people where they are every day or um an underground uh, the overground station or something like how can those places have exactly you've got westfield just next door you know incredible performances yeah i mean how many people are coming in and out of i think it's the busiest station it's the busiest station yeah yeah so again it's like how does something like that then showcase it and also create opportunity to uh, have people's work or um have them stop for a second and experience something that's being made over there Exactly. I think that it's that thing of kind of bumping into, I love the idea of bumping into an idea or bumping into something that you didn't know was for you. Yeah. And being surprised and, and taking a moment to stop. You know, we're, it's a gift for us that we'd have this sort of very prominent outdoor public realm mm-hmm. on the Stratford waterfront that people, it's very visible. People walk past it every day if you're cutting across the park or if you're going shopping or you're going to see a football match. You know, there, is, there are so many audiences that are coming to the park for lots of different reasons. So how do we tap into that so that you're not just coming for one thing, you're coming for four. So, you know, you have 60,000 fans coming to watch the football. Yeah. Um, What would get them to kind of come a bit earlier and come over to an exhibition at East Bank? You know, I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility. I think there's so many. So cool. You know, a whole family comes to watch a football match. They can all come together and come and see a performance over at Sadler's Wells or an exhibition at V&A East. And then go and do a bit of shopping and then off they go and watch their football match you know it's 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 giving that bigger picture yeah some very um fashion easter west ham scarfs in the future maybe or a uh exactly. come on you irons chance in a auditorium in a yeah i would uh, well i'm not a west ham fan but i would still love to experience that but yeah again it's just the opportunities abound don't they really and not making assumptions so again so it's not dividing audiences is right. it people people are complex and people like many things but it's about showing them that that these many things exist. And again, right. what's beautiful, I think, about East Bank is this collaborative nature and, and way of thinking about programming. You know, V&A East announced their launch exhibition last week, which will open in May 2025, and it's looking at 100 years of black British music. Now, all the East Bank partners have gone, you know, they, they, they sort of offered it as an invitation to the East Bank partners and said, this is what we're doing. Do you want to play? And all the East Bank partners said, of course, that's just such a brilliant idea. We can all respond to that in our own unique way. Mm -hmm. So 
what you then get is five very different responses on a joint theme, but that will tap into different audiences and different experiences, or you can come and explore all five. Um, and I think that is what's really exciting because you can see how that would look from a school's programming perspective. You can see how that would work from a community arts organisation perspective because there's a lot of opportunity for amazing um, outdoor music stages. Oh, yeah. And big parties. Mm -hmm. um, Are you allowed to do that? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Licensing these days in London isn't what it used to be. Well, I don't know how late we'll be able to go, okay, but, but we can definitely do outdoor Well, I mean, you've got a football stadium. It makes a yeah. lot of noise. I'm pretty sure noise isn't too much of a problem. Exactly. And we've got this beautiful waterfront square, which is just, it's crying out for yeah. amazing outdoor programming. Um, but you can see how each of the partners will bring their own flavour to mm. that theme. Um, and they're already getting excited about it. And that's my job is to kind of bring those together. But that's how that's how the programming will work in the future is we'll all come together around a particular idea or theme and then you can explore it in different ways. Yeah. And I love that idea of it. Someone maybe, as you say, experiencing something. They have a real love for music and they go to the BBC and then they maybe have never really engaged with uh, dance or something like that. But the, by the fact of that melting pot just creates, as you say, lucky opportunities for people to, to experience different things. But I guess when you think to the future, um, the speedboat in design thinking is you're kind of going forward and trying to achieve your goal. Um, and you think about the potential anchors that might stop you achieving that. Like, what do you think are the the biggest pressures maybe on you being able to achieve the kind of things that you want for your cultural programming? Okay. Well, funding. Sure. That's a big one. Um, I think the sort of, you've got big organisations with, their operations and their businesses to run and so it would be very easy to go back and just be five independent organizations so I think that's a challenge is to keep the momentum mm. to keep the engagement to keep the kind of the values and the um the generosity of collaboration going um so keeping that momentum I think is, is do you think it's like communication a lot of the time or what do you think is the most likely yeah, thing it's communication but it's also kind of keeping on looking at the bigger picture, looking at the kind of further down the line, like what do we want East Bank to feel like? Do we want people to kind of, to know that they can tap into all of those different amazing assets and resources and that you see audiences, students, members of staff, artists crossing over. Um, what I want is that is that, you know, people approach East Bank and artists might go, so I've got this idea and it involves dance, visual art, um, robotics, mm -hmm. fashion, and you go, oh great, that makes sense. Of course, <laughs> you'd come to us. Like we want, I want us to be known for that place where that possibility and that innovation exists, and that where that sort of test bed for trying out ideas, um, and that you would come to us all rather than go to one. Or if you went to one, a partner would go, oh gosh, that's such a good idea. Wait, let's meet. We're gonna let's make sure that BBC are in the room or. Right. We need to get that amazing researcher from UCL East because they are going to just literally be a game changer and change the way you're thinking about that technology for that choreographic interactive movement piece you're thinking about. It's it's that is what I see success looking like. Yeah. But the challenges are going to be, you know, funding those projects and those big ideas, getting audiences to to step over the threshold and feel welcome, um, and keeping that collaboration and that communication going. Yeah, that culture of, of that, I think, is the one of the most important things. But it's sometimes, 
I think there's so many ways you can try to enforce it uh, and, and shepherd it, but then in many ways the beauty of it is that it's not ring fenced and it can splinter off in weird ways. But you, you do as you know, this there'll be every single day there'll be hundreds of things that could merge between these institutions, which would be amazing. But um, yeah, maybe trying to control it too much is not good. Yeah. And uh, but the culture is what maybe reinforces that, right? And as you say, it's that always having an, an awareness and a mindfulness of, of what's next door and having those clear channels. Because I think maybe it's even the, it's being comfortable with the, the kind of strategic narrative not being so, um, or, or having it be malleable. Like, you know, it, it's something that right now probably seems really clear uh, and there's the, the overarching thing, but the detail can be something which cyclically you can go, what do we all think of this? Like, do we still agree with that? Um, and can we go out into the community and say, does, does that does that feel right? And, and and have those assumptions be constantly questioned, which is, I think, super vital. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, exactly. Nothing can be fixed. Like right. I, you know, I keep saying that I might change my mind, or things might shift, or it might feel differently you know, right. two years from now. And and again, it's not pinning it down and going every year we will do this because you want to be able to respond to the world. You want to be able sure. to respond to what's happening in your community and the needs and the shift. You know. You know, we saw it in the pandemic, how people pivoted and shifted their program to become more focused on the need, the kind of the vital need that was, was there in their community. And I want to hold on to that kind of being agile and being flexible and being responsive. Um, and also being really honest about what we're not going to do. Mm. So, you know, why on earth double up? If there's somebody else doing that really well, let's honour that. Let's celebrate that. Let's give them that opportunity rather than it all being about East Bank. Right. Yeah. Because there's amazing expertise. I'm meeting extraordinary organizations every day who are doing brilliant things. Yeah, and it's that authority bias, right, that we often think, and we see those things, and we go, they, they have a better read on it just because of scale. And you go, the, the best thing we could do is to devolve this down and be on the playing field and listening yeah. um, all the time. Because as you say, imagine... Yeah, imagine if you'd opened four or five years earlier and, and COVID happened and everyone for a moment would have messaged you and going like, no one's ever going to go to these things ever again. And you built all this stuff and you have to go like, that might be true, but also let's talk to people and go. And now with hindsight, we can say experience has never been more important to people and, yeah. and human connection has never been more important. But there was a moment when we all thought like, we're just going to live on Zoom. <laughs> it's like totally cool, right? It's like, we'll figure it out. It's like, no, that's not what we want. Generally. Yeah, you want that. You want that lived live experience. You want to touch. 100%. You want to feel. You want to hear. You want to. You know. You want to be in it. Um, and that's the beauty of of cultural programming. Yeah. Live programming is that kind of experiencing something extraordinary and special. Yeah. Hypothetically, do you think if you put, um, maybe this is too broad a question, but if you put the current East Bank buildings in South Bank as they are now do you think it would work the same way or do you think you would approach it differently and by nature of the geography or, or yeah how, how different do you think the buildings and the context is oh gosh i think the context is quite different i think you, you know the park makes it different the yeah. communities that exist <clears throat> on in and around the park make it feel really different um it doesn't have that kind of obvious tourist connection just being not in central London, right? Not being yeah. in central London, the idea that you could do multiple things. But I think I think the you know, what did the mayor say? The gravity is moving east. I think, you know, the dream the dream, all well, the dream is is that people will come and spend their if they come and have a holiday or they're doing it they're here for business, they'll come and base themselves 
in East London. They might go they might go west for a day, but there's everything here that they can engage with. Um, so I don't know if you if you put, if you put it in South Bank. No, I don't think it would be the same. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you oftentimes think uh, I think a lot of people see these things almost as of cut from the same, and it's all sort of part of this thing. And we do maybe intellectually think about it or talk about it that way because it's easier, right, to frame things in that way. But they are really idiosyncratic. They are, and and again, you know, there is that sort of ambition and dream that we have that that feeling of of people going. I'm going to go to East Bank because I, I know there's going to be something to engage with. And that's what South Bank has. It has that kind of trust and it's got yeah. that that sort of regular programme. But there is something really unique and special about this part of London and the way that the communities around here engage with, with culture and how they engage with the park and how they've engaged with the programme. And I think it's a really interesting story to have that Olympic legacy at the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder if that... I guess that who lives in and around the South Bank um, in a five-mile radius and then who lives around here and the differences. and Yeah, I mean, there's really interesting communities that do live in and around Lambeth. It's an amazing... Lambeth, certainly, yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing borough and there's such a lot going on there and there's a huge community. Just not the other side of the Thames. But it's... In a couple of miles. I don't know how far a couple of miles is in London, yeah. to be honest. I mean, <laughs> One tube stop, that's not a mile, but... <laughs> but I just... Just the nature of how the sort of the East Bank and everything else that's, that's in and around the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park has been thought through. It yeah. feels very different. It is is like a whole district, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm incredibly excited from from my vantage point of trying to support emerging creative industries and, and, and also, you know, the SMEs and the startups um, and the freelancers and, and just seeing the opportunity that these institutions provide and also the the... Not that they needed it, but some some additional validation about what East London can do, um, and, and bringing these institutions here to say that it's not like noisy neighbour Manchester vibes. It's it's you know with with Man City and United, it's the kind of thing where we're now like, look, we we have everything we could need to from seed to sow now, yeah. and so what can we do with that? Uh, and I think for for a lot of people, as I talk to them, as I told you people that I invited to come to the, the the London College of Fashion opening, they were just wide eyed and just saying like this is like this is opportunity right here. Like what can I do in here? Like and that's who knows what those things will be yet and that's okay for now. And they'll be how that will form is incorporeal. But it's beautiful that we're making this step and as you say, trying to bring as many people into the fold as possible. Um I mean yeah, I'm just incredibly excited for what I can deliver. I think it's uh, it's an amazing moment. I agree. And I think, but yeah, the opportunities are vast and, you know, particularly with the universities and, and the sort of lecturing opportunities and particularly with London College of Fashion and all the amazing creatives that are over in Hackney Wick, you know, bringing those artists, creatives, makers yeah. over and vice versa. You know, a lot of the UAL students have made home in Hackney Wick um, course, and that creativity... Yeah is what's needed to kind of make things breathe and live and have a have an existence beyond beyond studying. Yeah. Um but I think there's a huge opportunity there to bring those voices into their program. Yeah. And in my conversations with Newham and Wharf and Forest colleagues and, and the local authorities, we're just all yeah, as I said, we're we're replicating that energy and it's just it's just a nice feeling to to all be coming forward with that.
Tamsin, it's been amazing uh, to, to talk about this subject with you with such depth of experience in cultural programming. And I think the first person to be in the first version of the job that they're in, or the first person to hold the position, which is always a kind of cool thing to think. Um, before I let you go, are you up for answering my lightning questions? I can try. You can try. I think you've got it. You've been stellar so far. Um, so number one, what are two of the most important books in your life? I don't know if they're the most important books in my life, but I just read The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, and I found that quite transformational. Mm -hmm. Number two, what? who was the last musician or what was the last album that blew you away? Music. Do you know what? I mean, there's so many in terms of like people that blow me away, but I did go and see Madonna recently at oh, the wow. O2. And I think she gets a really hard time and she's aging disgracefully. She's still disrupting. And I think she made, had a quote saying the most controversial thing she's ever done is sticking around. And I just thought her concert was phenomenal that's cool with her back catalogue and i loved it and i was just like you're 65 you're rocking it it was quite in terms of like being a woman in the arts and wanting to kind of you know have this leadership role i found her massively inspirational aging disgracefully is a cool yeah. phrase i love that um what profession other than your own would you like to attempt do you know what i'd like to be a radio dj You've got a good voice like for it. Like Lauren Levan or I'd like to be on... All right, just Madonna, <laughs> Madonna Radio. I'd love to be on like Desert Island Discs doing that. Too that right. a really cool job. That would be a very cool yeah. job. Feels quite comfortable as well. Like, you know, you just sit there with a nice drink in a studio. Just listening. Yeah, just listen I love that. Songs. You know, who, I mean, most people have written their list of Desert Island Discs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, one day just you imagine someone cares enough to ask you. <laughs> yeah, one day. <laughs> We're getting there. Hopefully this is the, the one day when know. you're on that bloody show. I'm going to repost this episode and say, you're welcome, world. All right. All right. Um, number four, what piece of advice has had the most lasting impact on you? Be yourself. Mm. When I was, I think it was in primary school, a teacher, I think it was like my final year of primary school and a teacher who I didn't particularly like, but he said to me, you need to be yourself. Whenever you try and not be yourself, that's when you fall down. He said, always hold on to that. And my mum always says it to me. She's like, you just have to be yourself. So whenever you're like floundering or thinking you can't do something, you kind of go, well, maybe if I dress like that person or if, I, if I'm like that, I'll, I'll succeed. But I always succeed when I'm just being myself. Love that. Um, what piece of advice would you give to the next generation forming their path? To be kind to everyone you meet. Your networks and your contacts are really important and you never know where that they, they'll pop up. And... If you're good to people, they'll be good to you. And that generosity and spirit of wanting you to do well will just always be there. And it sounds obvious, but people aren't always nice. I can echo that. Um, yeah, incredibly important. And what where you are and what you're doing is going to provide a lot of those opportunities for people to be kind, build a network. I think it's, um, yeah, great advice. Um, and lastly, uh, aside from resources such as money or staff, what is the single biggest thing your industry needs more of? It needs respect. It needs people to understand the value and, and the contribution and what it offers and what it brings and what it does for people. You know, even if you don't end up working in the creative arts or creative industries or being that performer, what the creative industries does, it gives you so many skills, life skills, which are so needed. And I just don't think it gets the respect or the support or the profile that it deserves. Um, 
and it gets talked about as being the easy, soft subjects. And it's not easy. It's highly complex. Um, some of the most, you know, extraordinarily creative people have got the most brilliant brains and minds, but they're often not talked about in the same breath as the more kind of academic. I would agree. Um, Tamsin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, if anyone wants to keep in touch with yourself, your thinking, what's happening at the East Bank, where's the best places online to head? In terms of finding out about East Bank, if you go to the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park website, there is a page on there that will tell you about East Bank. So go there. Um, I'm happy for people to contact me on my email address as well if they want to. Yeah, if you want, we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes. I'm All happy. Right. I love chatting to people and meeting people and connecting. So I'm, I'm always happy to be contacted. As long as you're kind. As the... long as you're kind. <laughs> Full circle. Uh, Tamsin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you.